Well, 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 we have arrived at the moment of truth. We have come to the end of a very long journey, more than half of a year. And we are here in Acts chapter 28. And I, as always, with the exception of one week when he abandoned me and, and, and forsook me, but he has been back with me ever since, uh, is Jason Bridgman to close out Acts the 28th chapter. Jason, how goes it? It, this is great. You know, I have been here for 96.43% of the time. <laughs> you, so. you, you calculated that on a calculator. Uh, nobody can see that, Josh. Okay. But, <laughs> no, I am excited. This has been great. I, I've, I really appreciate the opportunity that you have given me to come and, and look at this stuff with you. Um, I think it just it's, it excites me to be able to share things from the gospel with people and uh, you know, whoever has, has been able to benefit, if, if anyone has been able to benefit, I've got to benefit mm -hmm. out of this. I mean, it, it's been amazing. Yeah. So I, I hope that, um, you know, if anybody has listened to all of them, they need a trophy. They do. Because, yeah, quite an accomplishment. Well, and I, I thought from the very beginning that even if nobody else did listen, um, if nothing else, you and I would be, you know, strengthened and encouraged by studying together. And um, and thankfully, there have been lots of people that have listened, and there have been dedicated listeners from from chapter one. And um, we've not bored them to tears. You know, if you, I don't know what our average is. You know, it seems like maybe an hour and twenty, hour and thirty minutes for most episodes. So we're talking forty plus hours worth of material uh, by the time this is all said and done. And that's a that's really saying something to listen to you and I talk for that length of time. Uh, it's like a full-time job. It really is. It really is. <laughs> um, so we are here in the uh, in the final chapter of of this book as we've watched the gospel go forward. We've seen time and again all of these um, barriers and these uh, bumps in the road uh, to try to prevent uh, the spread of the message of, of Jesus and the the growth of the church, but God is not going to be stopped, and we're going to continue to see that even even here in this final chapter. Here, you know, we talked last week in chapter twenty-seven about this uh, incredible shipwreck, and um, in some ways, this was not a great chapter break because really the drama of of the shipwreck boils right over here into the first part of of chapter twenty-eight. We didn't really talk about it last week. It kind of was implied as to what time of the year we were talking about. We were getting toward those those winter months. Um, and I just don't think we just said it, but when they would have wrecked the ship and everybody's kind of trying to swim to the island, it, we'd be talking about freezing waters here. You cool. know, uh, Let's keep that in, in, in mind here as we come here to chapter 28 and um, Paul and, and, and all 276 people who are aboard that ship, everybody survives, but everybody is cold, everybody is wet. You think about it's probably still raining even once they get onto the shore, and so that's just kind of adding to the, to the discomfort. And there's a thought that I've had, um, especially in these last few chapters, um, we hear so much about um, the prosperity gospel in our day and time, the health and wealth gospel. That you know, if if you really just love the Lord, He's going to you know bless you in all these material and physical kinds of ways, and um, you know your health will be wonderful and great. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you something. The Book of Acts absolutely destroys that notion <laughs> because if your health and wealth and your prosperity um, is is an indication of God's love for you. 
then God must have hated Paul. <laughs> because yeah. Paul has been put through the ringer, and we're still not done with him being put through the ringer. And um, and just goes to show that, that our, our physical circumstances, what we're enduring here upon this earth, the trials, the tribulations... Uh, is no indication uh, of of how God feels about us. Uh, that's not the gauge. That's not the measuring stick. Um, and Paul here is a great example of we're just going to bear up under whatever it is that we're facing and uh, not complain, not going to get weary in well-doing either, but we're just going to keep keep plunging forward just as God keeps making the gospel plunge forward. I mean, you think about the prosperity gospel is very self-centered and, and self-focused. You know, what can... God do for me? What can I get out of this? And it's so, it's just a selfish approach. Throughout Acts, we always see, even when people do amazing, extraordinary things, it's God. Yeah. And God gets the credit, God gets the glory. Even, I remember there was a statement that uh, God was performing extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, Paul was doing these amazing things, but it wasn't really Paul. Right. It was God. Yeah. And so if we are more focused and care more about what God wants and God's will, then we are willing to endure this. Because if, if we really think about it, you know, is suffering worth it? If, if it's all about the prosperity gospel and, and what I can get out of this life, absolutely not. But if we're looking forward to something else, and if, if we know that, that God will reward those who diligently seek mm -hmm. Him, then we can endure whatever, you know, those, those trials, whatever. It just makes us want heaven even more. Yeah. Um, and I, I just can't imagine how much Paul must have wanted heaven and how much he was looking forward to that. Yeah. I, I mean, he even writes about that. He does. You know, in one of his books. So, Well, let me build on what you just said there about keeping the focus on God because I think that'll be helpful for us as we look at chapter 28. Because when I read chapter 28, what I want to know is what was the outcome of Paul's, you know, arrest and what's the what, what's going to be the final result of that you know when he gets in front of you know the 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 emperor the caesar and gets to present his case finally you know I appeal to caesar all right what's going to be the outcome of that and luke is not going to talk about that <laughs> at all you know uh he's he's not not putting the focus on that Instead, where Luke puts the focus and where God is wanting the focus is on how the gospel is going to continue to go forward. God's work is going to continue to be done. And we're going to see that in this chapter, even though we've got lots of curiosities about you know, what's going to happen when Paul gets to Rome. Uh, he is going to get there. And maybe when we read some of the epistles, uh, some of the later epistles, Maybe we get little indications of, of kind of how some things worked out. But uh, by and large, uh, that's not the focus because the book of Acts is not about Peter or Paul or the apostles. I realize it, it's been titled the Acts of the Apostles, but th this is the Acts of the Lord uh, working through these guys. And that's where the focus is, is going to be as we uh, work through here. So chapter 28, verse 1. After we were brought safely through this storm-tossed sea shipwreck, we then learned that the island upon which they had swam to was called Malta. Uh, Malta is, uh, we're talking about a place that's actually only about 60 miles from, from Sicily. So they're, they're actually really not that far from where they need to ultimately get to as they head toward, you know, toward Italy and, and, and up toward Rome. Um, 
but they are going to still be delayed a little bit. Not going to be able to just immediately head in that direction because of the time of the year that it is. Uh, and we'll even get some little helpful time markers here in just a moment. Uh, so here on the, on the island, verse 2, The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and they welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. Um, just say something here uh, about a couple of the phrases that are used here. Um, in verse 2, does the, uh, what does the New American Standard say about the people? How does it describe them? Showed us extraordinary kindness. Extraordinary kindness. Um, what's the word it used to describe? Just the natives or native The natives. People? Okay. Yeah. Well, if you're reading from like a, the old King James, it uses the word, they were a barbarous people. <laughs> They're barbarians. Yeah. And, and and I remember reading that as a kid growing up, and the imagery that I get in my mind when I hear somebody's a barbarian is I just think, oh man, here's people who they don't even know how to talk, and they, you know, they walk around on <laughs> their hands and their feet, and uh, you know, just really weird pe animal-like people. Um, that's really probably not uh, the, the image we need to get in our mind. Really, the word barbarian, uh, as it's called in those older texts, um, really just means people who don't speak Greek. Um, and that's how the Greeks looked at, or, or that's how the Romans and, 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 and Greek-speaking people, that's how it looked at people who didn't speak Greek is is as bar 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 bar. It's actually an automatopoeia word. Barbarian is is that they just talk and it just sounds like bar 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 bar. Um, these people are not like that. They're not these wild, ravages, you know, cannibalistic people necessarily. Uh, they're just they're they're just different from the the people who have actually you know, crashed ashore uh, on their island. And that expression that is used there that you said it's rendered extraordinary kindness or unusual kindness here. Yeah. It's just a great little commendation uh, about these people that. You know, these people went above and beyond what you would expect, the hospitality uh, of, you know, these people who crashed on your island. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, by and large, probably a lot of those people who crashed on that island probably would normally look down on these quote-unquote barbarous people. Um, but here are these people, salt-of-the-earth kind of people, ready to help, doing what they can, making a fire, uh, and welcoming them uh, to this place. Yeah. That's just really cool to see that, um, and you know, thinking some of the people on that ship were prisoners. Mm -hmm. You know, we had all kinds of different people, and uh, I don't know what kind of conversation they had at the beginning, but it's like, okay, these people need help. We're going to help them. Um, and sometimes I think that um, we we want to ask too many questions before we help somebody. Yeah, you know, it's. And I'm not saying we need to be naive and, you know, that sort of thing. But, you know, it comes a point where it's just like, somebody needs help. We need to help them. You know, yeah. help first, ask questions later, uh, you know, sort of thing. The, I mean, you see people swimming in frigid water coming from a shipwreck. They're going to need stuff. Yeah. You know, they're, they're going to need some help. You know, you see somebody, like, crash their car and crawling out all, all bloody and stuff and... It's so like, well, let me ask if, if you're a good person before I help you. It's, no, you're going to help them. Yeah. You know, and then, you know, ask ask questions later. Yeah, I know. And, and you know, I, I say this as someone who, you know, so, so I'm here at the church building uh, some during the week, and the telephone oftentimes will ring, and oftentimes it is people calling and asking for 
monetary help, financial assistance of some sort, and there's almost this need on my part in trying to gauge whether they're worthy of help and you know give them the third degree and ask 20 questions and and so forth and uh, maybe to some degree there's there's some prudence in that I get that we want to be good right. stewards of the things God has given us when it comes to especially when it comes to the giving of our money and so forth but in this particular case you know when it just comes to rendering help you know just a helping hand you know, things like that, uh, our knee-jerk reaction should be uh, to do that. And even if it is, if it does appear, I, I like the way it's rendered here in the ESV, unusual kindness. That is, that, it's, that, that it was not normal. It, yeah. it, it, it was kind of out of the norm uh, to act that way. And you know what? In a culture that we live in today that has become so jaded and cynical and hard-hearted, we could use some unusual kindness, hmm. some kindness that is out of the norm. And whether people recognize it as that or not, that'll be up to them. But God will recognize an unusual kindness, and, um, and it'll be to our credit. And um, To people who look and talk different than us, I mean, like, can you really do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can, and you should. Yeah. Um, so they're putting, they're coming and putting this fire together for for Paul and, and these other people. Verse three. Then when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, can we stop right there before we get to the drama? Hmm. Um, I love the mention here that yeah. Paul is not willing or, or not not unwilling to you know get his hands dirty, which probably were already dirty, <laughs> um, yeah. but jump in there and help and. This is so different, once again, from modern culture in the way um, the, you know, especially the, the modern day definition of, of a pastor or preacher of a church or members of the, 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 the clergy and the cloth and how right. they would dare not touch certain people or certain things or involve themselves in such menial tasks. Here's Paul. I'm not worried about that. I can pick up some sticks. You know, uh, I can help. Um, I can be a part of this, and uh, I'm not worried about you know soiling my hands with with menial labor. And uh, I just love that. I, I think that's once again that's one of those things that's just following in the footsteps of Jesus. That kind of stuff was not beneath Jesus. Jesus, prior to becoming a full time preacher, did work with his hands. And um, and I don't know. I just I just like that little note about that Paul's willing to do that. You know, Paul, if there was any point where Paul could have said, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of tired, yeah, uh, a little wore out, um, maybe after not eating for two weeks, he had that meal right before, that's true, but then going through the shipwreck and swimming to shore, um, you know, you might, might be inclined to say, I'm just going to sit here and try to get warm and, you know, then I'll help after we're, we're good. Yeah. But no, it was like, it went from you know, just this traumatic experience. And he's just automatically ready to continue to help. Yeah. Like that, that attitude and mindset of, you know, sometimes I'll help when it's convenient for me, but I'm just really tired, man. I, I've, I've had a tough day. I, I've, you know, rough day at work, you know, whatever. Um, but no, Paul, he was the toughest of tough days, months, whatever. And he was just, you know, right there alongside him. Yeah, there's just no no job too too small for for him. Just a willingness to serve. And uh, I remember, I remember a few years ago, it was after services were over, and uh, I was just walking up the aisle, and there was like a wrapper, a candy wrapper, lying there on the carpet. And 
a young man was standing right next to it, and I'm pretty sure it was his rapper, uh, but he wouldn't admit to it. But I walked up and like just pointed. I was like, hey, you going to pick that up? And he's like, that's not my job. And I was like, come on, man. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, like that's yeah. so beneath you to, yeah. to bend your arm, you know, 12 inches in this direction to pick this thing up. And, um, like I said, Paul's a Paul's a sterling example of there's there's not any job that's too small and uh, and to be of help and be assistance and think about how that would just create kind of a when you're working and even in a small task like this like gathering firewood with other people there's kind of a camaraderie that just builds when you're all doing the same job and maybe that's kind of what Paul is thinking here is like all right. These people have, have extended a kindness in this direction. Well, I'm going to extend a kindness in that direction. And we're kind of working together, probably with that evangelistic mindset that maybe there'll be an opportunity here for me to say something about the Lord. And that opportunity is going to avail itself, uh, but not before the drama. So the end of verse 3, he says, as Paul's bringing this bundle of sticks, putting them on the fire, then a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Paul got bit by a snake. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of all the things that we have went through and to just the icing on the cake. The guy got bit by a snake. Um, this is why you don't help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was just sitting there like a normal person. Yeah. If he had, yeah, if he had just been lazy, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. Um, but once again, this is going to just serve as an opening for an opportunity to help these people um, see something amazing. Um, verse 4, their original reaction is this. When the native people saw that the creature was hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt, this man is a murderer. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. So the immediate thought of these people is that all right, a bad thing is happening to this guy, so he must be a bad man. And in some ways, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold that thought. I'll, I'll, I'll say this here in just a minute. Um, notice there, in, in, I don't know if the New American Standard does this, but in verse 4 when it says, though he's escaped from the sea, justice hasn't allowed him to leave. Is, is justice capitalized in your it's Bible? All right, in my Bible, justice is capitalized uh, because apparently that was the name of one of the gods uh, of that time. And... That's how these people may have, and that may be, for all I know, that may be the translator's choice uh, to capitalize this on this occasion. Um, but, you know, hey, all right, well, you was able to, you know, swim really good and get out of the water, but you know what? Justice is still a-coming. He's coming to get you. You can't hide forever. And so now he's coming to get you, and you are going to be punished for this bad thing that you did. A murderer, they must have uh, suspected. And... Um, this just, just kind of ties in with what I said a little bit earlier about how, um, you know, if the, the health and wealth gospel is, is true, then um, yeah, how does that fit with Paul? Because bad stuff happened to Paul, and well, that must mean God doesn't love him. And that's kind of the way that these people were thinking that, hey, bad stuff's happening to you, then that must mean you're a bad person. must mean that, well, in their case, the gods are angry with you, which is still very much the way that... People today generally think um, there's that incident in John nine with the blind man, and the apostles asked Jesus the question, you know, who sinned? Was it this man or was it his parents that he was born blind? And that is kind of our natural reaction that when when we suffer or bad things happen, well, I must have sinned. And while I do believe it is appropriate for us in times of suffering to 
do some self-examination and to, to, to reflect, all right, is it, could this be the chastising of God? Is that what, what is happening here? Um, that's not always the case. And uh, in the case of Paul here, Paul was blameless before the Lord. And so this snake wasn't the, certainly wasn't the work of Jehovah. And uh, since pagan gods aren't real, it wasn't the work of them either. Uh, it just was a, a chance occurrence. Uh, you know, the psalmist talks about time and chance happens to them all. And um, that's what's happened here. Guy got hurt. You know, if I get up right now and start walking across the room and I fall and skin my knee, more than likely it's probably just going to be because of just chance or just, you know, just circumstances that were really outside of of my direct control. Um, yeah, and I mean, stuff like that happens, obviously. Um, it, I think it's just interesting. The picture in my head, you know, the... The snake is fastened on his hand. It's just like holding on. Um, I think this this really sets the scene because everybody sees it. I mean, if, if he just got bit real quick and the snake slithered off and nobody saw it, it would not have made the impact that it does yeah. here. But now they, they see it and it's like, okay, this is like some Final Destination type stuff. They probably hadn't seen the movie. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like hanging off his hand and, and then it, it's just like... I don't know how aware they were of the, you know, the prisoner situation and if he was a prisoner or what, you know, I, I don't know if they knew that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, whatever it was about the situation, they're like, okay, if he was a prisoner, he's the worst of the worst. They maybe would have recognized, certainly, that there would have been still these centurions and soldiers that are still kind of, you know, kind of keeping guard and, and watching everybody and... Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so they, 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 but there is probably kind of just a, a well, there clearly is a, just a leap in their, uh, you know, assumptions here that, okay, uh, he, he must be the, amongst the worst of the worst. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. It's kind of ironic because uh, he kind of was a murderer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. That's yeah. not what he's being that's held here it. for on no. this occasion, though. <laughs> no. um, there is really, in some ways, maybe the, the more modern term that we would use here. Uh, that people still use is is the idea of karma. Yeah, you know, karma's coming to get this guy, and um, yeah, that's that's not a biblical a biblical concept. People use that term and throw it around as if it's something from the Bible, but it's yeah. not. Um, Read the book of Job. I mean, yeah, like Job's friends definitely thought, yes. okay, you must have done something bad. You got what was coming to you because mm -hmm. this is awful, um, and. You know, and and that's the thing. you think about how Job ends. He, he never told why right. he suffered. But so basically, God says, "You know, I'm God." Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, what? Why do we try to blame God and that sort of thing? It's it's not about that, you know. And and that's I think that that shows us sometimes it's it's not something we've done. Sometimes it's not something God has done. Yeah. Sometimes you know, Satan has a big. That's exactly influence. right as well. And so I, I mean, I said as when I was saying a second ago, uh, you know, yes, there's there are things that God does in His chastisement for, for for maybe for our iniquities or to get our attention or maybe to just to help refine us and help us to grow. Yeah. There is kind of that middle ground where sometimes it's just it's just a chance occurrence, uh, and and there's not really anything in control of the situation. And I'm glad you pointed that out. 
many other times it is there is Satan working there and um, the story of Job does let us know that Satan does have some measure of, of power I, I don't know how much power Satan wields on this earth I'm confident in saying that he still does um, yeah. what, what the extent of that is for us today I don't know entirely but certainly he is you know at, at the helm of much of the the pain that befalls us in our lives whether that be just directly due to sin or or other reasons but um, we just want to be careful I guess my, my, I guess my point in saying all of this is we just want to be careful before we go ascribing blame for difficulties that we experience to well, God did that to me yeah. or or maybe shift it entirely to the devil so as to somehow take any heat off of myself for maybe changes that I need to make well, that, that was all the devil's doing he's he's wreaking havoc um, we just need to be careful about that yeah yeah there, there's definitely some balance yeah um, so they think they think this guy's getting getting his comeuppance here for bad stuff that he's done verse 5 though Paul however he shook off the creature into the fire and he suffered no harm. Now I'm really interested, as you said a second ago. You know, the snake has latched onto him for for longer than just you know like a quick second. Obviously, yeah. you know, it's long enough for them to to say to one another, "Oh, look what this guy's you know happening yeah. to him." I'm curious to know how long it hung there. I, I'm curious yeah. to know. I mean, did it maybe initially hurt when it grabbed a hold of Paul, uh, and then maybe once he shook it off? Uh, no wound, no nothing. Uh, I mean, something had to happen for Paul to at least notice the thing is on there. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to know some of that. It's, it's really kind of immaterial in the grand scheme of things. But evidence here that a miracle has taken place. Yeah. I, I mean, there was, if nothing else, in, in the mind of, of these people, um, this snake had long enough to insert its venom. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think... It, and sometimes, you know, don't want to get into a biology lesson, but... You know, full-grown snakes, and I'm assuming this is, I, I don't know, it might not be, it could have been a baby one, but um, they, they typically will control how much venom that they release and all that, but one latches on for that long, good chance it's emptying its, uh, you know, stores of yeah. venom. So, um, you know, this, this is definitely a creature that can cause death, and probably, you know, that's what the natives saw mm -hmm. you know they they've seen people get bit by the, this type of snake they don't live yeah um and it's probably pretty fast acting too but um yeah that's i think all of this helps us to to really see the scene in our head i think the main takeaway of verse five is that we have here an apostolic example for killing snakes <laughs> that's that, that's the important takeaway amen here. yeah don't ever feel guilt for killing a snake uh <laughs> An apostle of the Lord did it. Um, verse six. Uh, so the people, they're all the natives. They're still standing there, kind of watching. And it says they were waiting for him to swell up or to suddenly fall down dead. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he, he, he lucked out. It shook off of him. But just watch. He's going to keel over. The venom once it finally courses through his veins and causes the reaction it needs to have. This guy's going to die. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him. They changed their minds, and they said that he was a god. <laughs> so, in a lot of ways, this is this is like the 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 opposite of what happened back in Lystra, back in chapter fourteen. Yeah. 
In chapter 14, Paul came to town and people were, were basically worshiping him like a god. And then by the end of the scene, they're, they're throwing rocks at him. You're a bad guy. Get out of here. Yeah. Uh, here, he comes to Malta and they assume, oh, he's a bad guy. Must be a murderer. And by the end of it, oh, never mind. He must be a god. <laughs> now, it doesn't say that they worshiped him or they, they were right. treating him like, like a god, like that, that was... Uh, or at least a god that they would worship, but uh, there is once again the assumption: oh, he must be, you know, some kind of of deity, some otherworldly person. And there certainly was a sense in which Paul was, you know, he's filled with the spirit and was endowed with spiritual gifts, and so he, he certainly was different uh, from the other, you know, two hundred and seventy-five people who were who were gathered there that day. But he most certainly was not a god. Yeah, and that's that's one thing to remember as we have read through Acts. Everything we read is kind of an abbreviated version. There's there's probably a lot more to the story, but based on Paul's character and what happened in Lystra and, and all that, uh, we can pretty much we could safely say he did not accept worship. Yes, uh, he, he made yes. sure that that did not happen. I I'm a hundred percent confident of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially since he's going to, you know, get an opportunity here in just a moment to try to talk to them about the Lord yeah. um, and do some things for the Lord to get to draw attention to God. Um, so verse five or verse seven. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius. Publius? I like Publius. That's a cute name. I say Publius. Publius? Just, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Well, it, the, the P-U-B-L-I does. That's a prefix that we know of other word public and so forth. All right. All right, let's go with Publius. No, I like, I like Publius. <laughs> do it, do it. All right, Publius, the, the island chief, who received us, and he entertained us hospitably for three days. Um, can we just say something about that? This guy personally is going to show hospitality. The we here, or the us that's used here in verse 7, I'm curious to know if it's just now maybe Paul's group, um, you know, Paul and, and, and Luke, we know, was on board, Aristarchus, um, and then whatever guards were over them. Or, if the us and the we here is all 276 people that were on board. If that is the case, this is extraordinary hospitality that this guy. <laughs> yeah. Three days worth of hospitality. Um, verse 8. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and with dysentery. Um... I think the other translations maybe use different. Uh, yeah, King James, a bloody flux. Uh, that sounds mm. terrible. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, that really paints a different picture for me. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're not laughing at the guy, just laughing at the words. Um, whatever this was, it was a, 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 an illness for which, at least at that time, there, there was no known remedy for. I think that's the implication. Right. Yeah. And Paul visited him, and he prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. So Paul, you know, uses this as an opportunity uh, to uh, perform uh, a different miracle now, um, and uh, would be the kind of thing as we've talked about ever since the very beginning. You know, one of the purposes of uh, miracles would have been to confirm uh, the message. That's actually what's stated at the end of Mark sixteen, verse twenty. That's one of the purpose of of, of signs and miracles of this nature. Um, and I'm just going to take it, even though the text doesn't uh, specifically say uh, that Paul preached to these guys. I, I, I'm going to just pretty safely assume Paul, in whatever way he was able to communicate with these people, tried 
to tell them something about about the true God uh, and about Jesus. Because um, again, that was the purpose of miracles, was to validate the guy who was doing the miracles so that he could then have a hearing and people could trust that what he was saying really was uh, from the Lord. Um, if, if, that's a, if that's too big of an assumption on my part, tell me. Uh, I don't think so at all. Uh, like, like I was saying before about the way that the book of Acts is written, I think at this point we could safely assume the stuff that Paul did before, he's probably doing now. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a pretty safe assumption to say that. You know, what sticks out to me the most about verse 8 is before he heals, he prays. Um, and it's just like, man, that is such a good example. You know, yeah. if, if you have the power to heal, the, the obvious problem that could come from that is you want people to think too highly of you. Mm-hmm. But he is, is definitely making sure um, that he knows that he is humbling himself before God and that, that God knows that he's, he's you know, conceding to him to do the healing. And you know, it's nothing that he can do. It's directly opposed to like the, the seven Jewish exorcists we, we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm who were just trying to use the name of Jesus to yeah. you know, cast out, didn't have that personal relationship. No, Paul, Paul has that relationship. Reminds me also of the, uh, the disciples of Jesus who tried to cast out a demon, but Jesus was like, you got to pray. Um, and, and so maybe the implication there is they were thinking too highly of themselves there. And, yeah. you know, but Paul is humble in this, um, and I don't know if these people understood what he was doing. But regardless, the people that did understand, um, you know, even if it was just his traveling companions, the Roman guards, whatever, uh, I'm sure that that left an impact on them. Yeah. You know, to see that okay, he goes to God before he does this great, amazing thing. Yeah. The the ESV uses even before the praying, it says that he he, he visited him. I think the New American Standard says he went in to see him. Um, visited is is a word that. At least in our modern vernacular, what well, it means, you know, dropping by and saying howdy doody to somebody. Yeah. Um, but biblically, visiting it carries with it the idea of of administering aid and and helping. You know, when you read in James one twenty seven about uh, visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. Well, it doesn't mean dropping by an orphan home and saying, "Hey guys, how you doing? All right, see you later." No, yeah, it means yeah. We're, we're going to take take some actions and do some things, and so and that's spelled out clearly here. Paul goes and visits the guy, and what's he do? He prays for him, and then because he had the miraculous ability to, then heals him, puts his hands upon him, and heals him. Um, and we want to be about the business of of visiting in the biblical sense. Nothing wrong with dropping by for a howdy duty, but if we can do more than that, we want to be, be ready to do that. Um, verse 9, And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. And they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So um, more miracles um, occur for the time that they're there. Uh, the next verse is going to tell us that it was three months that they were there. Um, and then even, I'll, I'll, I'll say for verse 10 about honored us greatly. Um, you know, Luke doesn't tell us that any of these people became Christians as a result of, of the time there. Um, for all we know, the, the language barrier might have been 
an issue and maybe just never could really fully communicate everything that needed to be communicated to people. Don't know. Um, but uh, I just take it that when it says uh, honored them greatly, it doesn't say they worshipped. It's a completely different word that's used yeah. here. Um, that's not to say that maybe some of these people still didn't have kind of a, a mixed idea about who Paul was and what his uh, abilities were or where those powers were coming from. Um, whatever they, they did here in this honoring of them greatly, I think Luke is just indicating that they were clearly very sincere in what they were doing. And um, to the best that they were able to understand what was going on, that was just their way of, of showing great respect to, to these people who had you know, crashed upon their island like Gilligan and, and his crew and, and turns out, hey, these are pretty, pretty great people and they've been able to benefit us. Yeah. You know, it, it just occurred to me, you know, Paul had the gift of tongues. And so... He did. You know, and so maybe that was the way that they could communicate. Possibly. Um, don't know. And, and there, there's so much, again, that we don't know here. Did any of them obey the gospel? How much were they able to talk? And, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, anybody here speak barbarian? Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, no, it, it's... Still, wherever Paul goes, uh, well, okay, let me let me not say that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was going to say he leaves a trail of happiness. Not no, okay, not not really, because um, you know some people respond very poorly to the gospel, but the gospel makes an impact on. Yeah, people. he wherever he goes, he leaves behind the fragrance of Christ, yeah. and in in some people's nostrils, it's a stink. Um, yeah. But for, for those who see it for what it really is, it is a beautiful aroma. And um, obviously they left Malta with uh, a, a positive aroma in people's uh, nostrils uh, about what Jesus was. And that's what we want to strive for. All right, I'm going to leave the fragrance of Christ wherever I am. And you know, if, if it's a stink to some people, well, that's going to be on them. Yeah. If, I've, if I've truly left the, the fragrance of Christ... They, if they don't like it, then, then the problem is in their nose, not in, uh, you know, not in what was left there. Um, verse 11, so uh, here's, the, here's the time stamp to let us know that we're probably talking here. So if the best we can tell based on you know, the, 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 the things that Luke told us back in chapter 27 and here, we may have been talking about that Paul and them were on this island from, say, December-ish, to February-ish, because it is about late February or March when that's generally the time when it starts to become more safe to actually do some sailing, and so um, that probably is is about where we are, maybe February or March of, of, of that year. So verse 11, after three months we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Um, does the New Record Standard give the actual name for the gods? Uh, Castor and Pollux. All right, I thought that one of them did. Um, let's say a couple things about that. Um, first of all, I think the reason maybe that Luke gives us that detail is to really just show the stark contrast uh, with with the fact that Paul and these people are on the ship. You know, the people who whoever crafted that boat and put Castor and Pollux, these twin gods, as the, you know, they're at the, the, the helm or, or whatever you call it on the ship, the mast or whatever. Mm. Um, they would have placed that there because they would have probably believed that those gods could protect them and take care of them and provide for them even in the midst of a storm-tossed sea. 
And I think Luke is just kind of drawing attention to the fact that those stupid gods weren't of any help at all. <laughs> Whereas in reality, yeah. it was the God of heaven who cannot be crafted into some image to be placed on a ship or anywhere else, who was the real protector and who was the one who really had saved all of these other you know, hundreds of people on this boat who were pagan and ungodly people. God's uh, you know, mercy and kindness was extended to them. It was not the work of Castor and Motorola and Pollux and whoever else uh, <laughs> these, these gods were. Um, what do you want to say about that? Well, but these are sons of Zeus, like surely, like <laughs> Zeus, you know. But no, that's it. That's something I could. So many words Rewind. all at once. Okay, let's try it again. So when God delivers us from something, sometimes it doesn't look like we expect it mm-hmm. to look, and. Um, you know this. Okay, this was a pretty magnificent thing. The, the the shipwreck and going through all that. But I don't even know if that would have looked if you were going through it. I don't know if you would look at it and just be like, "Whoa, look at all this amazing stuff happening." You know, it's just like, "Whoa, we hit a big rock. Now our ship is getting broke up. Let's <laughs> like jump off and swim." You know, it's sometimes we are very underwhelmed mm-hmm. by how God delivers us mm-hmm. through things. Um, but that's the power of God to work through small things. That's the amazing thing. Um, and that, that's just really cool to consider that you know, God is, is, is working through even the small things um, in life. You know, not the, the, these flashy you know, emblems right. of you know, false deities yeah. and that. No, it's just everyday stuff. So I think that, that's just more fuel for our fire to every day do something for God. Yeah. You know, be a servant, reach out, try to help people and uh, just look for God. Yeah. Yeah. He works through the the what we would consider the mundane and the and the simple and the ordinary. Um let me let me draw one more little application point from this. Um you hear a lot today uh, from Christians, from very well-meaning Christians, um, about ungodly things that exist in our society um, and how, especially in our day and time, there are so many like companies and services that even kind of support and promote ungodly things. And so the reaction many times for Christians is, is that, well, well, we just need to have nothing to do with those things. Because that company put out a statement that they, you know, provide money to, you know, an LGBT agenda. Mm. Or, um, you know, the, the, that restaurant over there, that they serve alcohol, so you, you shouldn't eat at that restaurant. And we do kind of this, this picketing and, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Boycott? Yeah, we boycott all these things because there's this ancillary connection to something that's that's ungodly. And I'm certainly not going to draw the line for anyone and, and tell right. you, well, you know, you have to draw the line where I draw the line on those things. Um, maybe there is there is a place for that. I, I get that. I've got, you know, standards and um, a place where I've drawn the line. Yeah. But here's an example in the Bible that Paul... It didn't seem to have any kind of an issue with getting on this boat 
that had a literal, you know, like idol crafted on the front of it uh, in order to get to where he needed to go. And even, even further, for God to even use an un, a boat that had something pagan and ungodly on it mm-hmm. in order to accomplish his purpose. And so um, we, just, we just probably just need to be careful about that because if we boycott far enough, and if we're going to be truly consistent about that, we're pretty much going to have to like exit planet Earth <laughs> and yeah. go out of this world uh, in order to avoid anything and everything that has any semblance or any connection to something that is ungodly or sinful. And um, I don't know, this, that, this, this little just mention here just kind of reminds me of that. I, I mean, if, if you think about things far, like who was the one who you know, developed the, I don't know, process for how to make plastic bottles? Well, you can't drink out of plastic bottles because this person was a heathen. Yeah. It's like, okay, <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, yeah and, and you could do that with almost anything. Yeah. If you really think about it, you, you go back far enough. And- what are the chances that the person who, who, who made this microphone that you and I are using to talk into was actually a Christian? <laughs> yeah. Probably pretty slim. Right. And so it's like, are we going to divorce ourselves from the world entirely? Uh, because again, the whole problem with, if you're going to take your boycott and be consistent about that all the way through, you're going to have to leave the earth. And the whole problem with leaving planet earth is our job is to be the salt of the earth and to be the light of the world, which means yeah. to some degree we have to have interactions with uh, ungodly people and, and we're going to be surrounded by ungodly things. We just cannot live in this you know, bubble where everything is as perfect as we would like for it to be. I mean, would I like it if every store that I shopped at or every restaurant that I shopped at shared the exact same values and principles as I do? Yeah, that'd be wonderful. That'd be great. It'd be wonderful if if all Christian brothers and sisters, you know, were the proprietors of, of these places and I could function entirely in life without you know, even being tainted in the slightest bit by, you know, heathenous people. Um, yeah, that just is a wonderful utopian thought, but it's not realistic. And um, it, it defeats the purpose of why we're here on earth in the first place. It does. I, I mean, if nothing else, it gets back to um, really makes us long for heaven. Yeah. You know, because the more we are around a fallen world and see the influences of sin and all of this, one, we got to be careful. True, that we don't become, you know, victim to that. We don't fall prey right. to those influences, and that's absolutely true. But you know, we can't just, uh, just you know, hole ourselves up in some cave somewhere mm-hmm. and just say, "I'm just going to wait till the Lord comes." You know, that that's not it either. Yeah. You know, we we. Who do you think is going to influence these pagan people? Right. You know, these heathens. The, whatever. Um, and I'm not, I'm not calling people around you heathens, but, um, we need, <laughs> you know, maybe they are, but, <laughs> um, you know, maybe don't call them that. Let's, let's we'll let the Lord that. call them that. Yeah, there we go. Um, but yeah, we need to be influences and, and that's, that's Paul here. I mean, how many situations did he find himself himself in? where he was able to be a voice of reason, that mm-hmm. he was able to show godliness in a you know fallen world. Yeah. Well, so, all right, so they board this, this you know, <laughs> heathen boat. Let's call the boat the heathen. <laughs> I think we can safely do that. 
Okay. So we're going to get back on this, get on this heathen boat, and uh, verse 12, putting in at Syracuse, here we get some more of these uh, geographical details as Luke is uh, bringing us to Rome. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. We're now here at this point, we're over on the, the eastern side of the little island of, of, of Sicily. Um, verse 13, and from there we made a circuit, and we arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Putoli. Um, and so we're kind of making this little, you know, loop around kind of the, the toe of the boot of, <laughs> of Italy. Yeah. And um, we're making our way here toward uh, where we've been, you know, spiraling towards for what seems like forever. But uh, here we are, verse 14. There, uh, when we came to Putoli, we found brothers, and we were invited to stay with him for seven days. And then we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns, and three taverns, and both of these are kind of proper names of places, um, to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and he took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Um, so there is the mention here um, in verse 15 that upon coming to Rome um, that there are brethren there. And if we were to kind of put together a timeline of our New Testaments, um, that should not surprise us because about three years prior to this was when Paul would have written the Roman letter, the Roman yeah. epistle. Uh, and that was written to Christians in this church at Rome. And so presumably we're talking about some brethren that have come down from, from, from that congregation to whom he had previously written to. Um, and they're there to, to greet Paul. They come down, uh, it says, came as far as the form of Appius. This is a, a reference to that long road that's known as the Appian Way uh, that would have passed through there, uh, which is like apparently one of the longest, and I think it still exists today, one of the longest and straightest roads and would have just been ideal for travel. Um, and we're talking about a road that's that's been in existence for like over 2,000 years. That's really saying something. It's marvelous engineering on their part. Um, but um, these brethren come and, and, and they meet Paul and the expression that's used at the end of verse 15 is just one of those little, it's not like a super well-known verse, but we've noticed there's been a handful of these lesser known verses in Acts, but when we come upon them, they just mean so much to me and this is one of them. Upon seeing these brethren, Paul thanked God and he took courage. And you have to just think, you know, Paul for these last several months, all right, he has had, you know, Luke has been with him, Aristarchus, maybe even been a couple of other brethren for all we know. But he's been surrounded, you know, by and large, by a lot of ungodly people, prisoners and, and you know, the, the dregs of society. Been surrounded uh, even prior to this by you know, consistently every day by Roman guards and, and, and people that are uh, working for, for the empire who would have, you know, not been godly people. And so the moment that he gets to just be kind of just fully surrounded by God's people, there would have been, first of all, just kind of, you just imagine would have just kind of flushed over him this sense of relief that, ah, I've made it. Just as God, just as Jesus had promised, you're going to go to Rome. I'm going to see to it that you're going to get to Rome. There would have been that feeling of, man, I'm there. But to then just be surrounded by brethren, I don't know, just the refreshment that would have come from that, it makes me immediately think of Wednesday night Bible study. 
Think of what Wednesday, I don't know what Wednesday night Bible study means to you. But for me, for, for years, Wednesday night Bible study has meant that moment in the middle of the week where I'm able to get away from the, the nine to five grind of my job where by and large I'm surrounded by people who are not Christians and I've been out in the world and been in my community and most of the people who are around me in, in the neighborhood and I live, in which I live, they're not Christians. I go to the store, go to the restaurant. Most of the people that are in those places, they are not Christians. Turn on my television, open up the internet. Most of what I see on there is not the work of Christians. But then in the middle of all of that, able to kind of escape that and come together on like a Wednesday night, it's this oasis of refreshment. And there is this response here. I'm, I'm thankful to God for it. And I take courage from it. In fact, the idea here of taking courage is is encouragement, putting courage into someone. And that's one of the things that our assemblies provide is, is encouragement. And um, it, it ought to just make us all ask the question, you know, do we see the assemblies of God's people or the occasions when we can be together with God or, or be together with those people? Do we, do we thank God for that? You know, just what a sight for sore eyes that is to get to look at my brethren instead of having to look at all this other stuff that, you know, I'd really rather not look at. And do I take encouragement from that and look forward to that? Uh, I think that's a question worth asking in light of verse 15. What do you want to say? You never know what someone else needs to. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you think about, there have been a lot of times where, you know, Wednesday night Bible study, it, it just, it's so encouraging and, and it, it's like, and maybe I even am thinking beforehand, I don't really feel like going, you know, mm -hmm. I'm really tired and nah, I, I could just stay home, I, I could rest, you know, I'm, I guess I'm really not feeling well, so, you know, I don't. It's don't just Wednesday night Bible study. Yeah, but, you know, how many times have, you know, felt that way and then you get there and it's like, Okay, <laughs> you know this is what I needed. Yep. You know I, I didn't need more sleep. I, I needed this. Yep. Um, and you know being able to be that encouragement for someone else. Now these people were encouragement to Paul. You know if if you think of people who need encouragement, it wouldn't be Paul. Yeah. You know he, he's the most godly. He is a machine. Yeah. Um, you know he doesn't need encouragement. Well, if Paul needs encouragement. You know, what about me? Yeah. What about my, my, my brothers and sisters that I worship with? Um, if I'm not there, if I'm not doing my part, then what are they missing out on because of what I should have been doing? Yeah. And maybe, okay, and, and maybe not just even worship services but uh, or Bible studies, but just in general, if we know that our, our brothers and sisters need us, Let's go. Let's let's inconvenience ourselves to do that. Yes. I mean, these people traveled. Uh, look at 33 miles, 43 miles, um, and when you're thinking about travel, you know, I mean, there's like half a day to get there, yeah, at least, and um, you know, the amount of time and effort that they put in to go and encourage someone. By the way, who they had never met. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's, come on. What kind of brotherhood do we have as Christians? How amazing is it to go on a trip somewhere yep. and to be able to pop into a worship service and just immediately feel a connection? Yep. Um, and, and just have this camaraderie because, you know, we are all serving the Lord together. Um, and we should find encouragement in that. And we should take courage. And we, we should 
be looking for how we can strengthen others with this. You know, w- when there's visitors in the assembly, mm-hmm. are we making them feel welcome and saying just how encouraged we are to have them there? I mean, there, there are just so many ways you can look at this and, and you know, so many aspects of, of this that help. But when it comes down to it, if we are truly serving God as Christians, you know, we need to be more concerned about things like this. Yeah. Um, again, like back to, to the prosperity gospel thing, it's not all about us. Sometimes I think we feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's, let's see what we can do for others. And the, and the side effect is when we approach it from an others first mindset, the side effect always, it, it, it never fails, is well, we, we do get something from it. For sure. Uh, there is the, the benefit to us, but uh, we just got to keep it in the right order. Um, mm. I remember there was an elder several years ago in a, uh, the congregation that worshipped at growing up, and he got up and was delivering a lesson. And it wasn't like your standard lesson about attendance, but he was making some points, and he just talked about and just the way that he phrased it. He was talking about when, when, when you're not here, he just asked, where were you when I needed you? Mm. You know, I, I, I needed you that Wednesday night. I needed you during Bible class when we were talking about whatever we were studying. I needed to hear your voice when we were singing. I needed to see your face and to shake your hand or, or to, to give you a hug or get a hug from you. And that's just always stuck with me that um, it's not just about what, what I get out of it or, or you know, the, the benefits that accrue to me. It's about, it's about what I need to be given to others. And uh, these people probably that day, you know, they, they had no thought in their mind that they were going to be the source, the conduit of putting courage into an apostle. The very guy who, when he went to other congregations, was doing the encouraging. You know, how many times did we notice that? Him and Barnabas, they went to such and such place and they encouraged and strengthened the brethren there. Um, you know what? And maybe the other thing this just tells us is that um, preachers need encouraging. Yeah. Um, and that gets forgotten sometimes, and uh, the expectation is the preacher's going to get up and he's going to say things that are going to motivate me and help me and benefit me, but, but that guy also has to try to live the Christian life, and he needs help, and he needs support, and he needs to be uh, not you know, treated as you know, some kind of special, otherworldly, supernatural. He must get his you know, spirituality from some source other than what we get ours from. No, it all comes from the same source, and um, one of the great sources of that help is from, from, from our brothers and sisters. And so um, these people serve that for, for Paul on this occasion. Um, verse 16 is, is one more mention of, of something that we've noted a few times, and that is how um, the, the, these Romans who've been you know, set to guard him and take care of him and, and do things for him, uh, they obviously noticed things about Paul that were good, and his character, and you know, who knows? Maybe even like the the letter that Festus would have had to write whenever he sent Paul up to Rome. Probably, you know, would have been somewhat favorable in saying, you know, look, I can't find any fault in the guy. Um, the report of you know, say the centurion that was on the ship who you know recognized some good things about Paul. Maybe those things all helped to play a part in Paul verse sixteen being able to uh, stay by himself with this soldier. You got a soldier here. May mean that the soldier was, you know, may have been chained to Paul daily. 
Maybe not. Uh, who knows? Maybe he was given a little bit more freedom than that. But all right, the soldier's always nearby. But Paul is given some measure of, of, of freedom. And uh, I think that's because of uh, the conduct and the way he had carried himself uh, all along the way. Um, what do you want to say before we jump in this last last section? You just think about the perspective of the soldiers and like the centurion and all these people that mm. are just along for the ride with Paul. Yeah. I mean, what they're seeing and hearing from him... Um, they get to spend a lot of time with them. I mean, through the shipwreck and hearing everything that Paul said and it all came true and, and then seeing what happened on the island of Malta, being with them there, um, you know, through that, that scary moment with the snake. But then, you know, everybody is coming to get healed by him. Like, mm-hmm. he can do that. And then to go and, and finally they're getting close to Rome and you have this, like, entourage of people who come from all around to to see him to be with him and and it's like who is this guy (laughs) you know what what is he all about um but the influence that christianity can have on others if we let god work through us right it's major well um this this last little um chunk here um is maybe not the way that we would think the book of Acts would end, yeah. or or at least the way that the story of Paul would end. Um, we would probably expect some you know big climactic resolution to the Paul being arrested story and how did his defense go and all of this, but that's not what we get. Uh, what we get is we really just get a replay of what happens every time Paul comes to a city. Because what does Paul do when he comes to a city? Usually the first thing he does is he finds, all right, where are some Jewish people at? Because I know they're spiritually minded, and there's evangelistic opportunity there. Let me see if I can find some Jews. And he begins teaching them and sees where he gets with that. And when that, you know, sometimes ends up not really going anywhere, okay, well, let me find some other people, and I'm going to preach to them. And we find that here he is here in Rome, even under these very unique circumstances, but that's exactly what he does. It's kind of the same deal. So let's just read a little bit. Verse 17, After three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, and maybe the, the fact that he calls together the local leaders of the Jews, who knows, maybe this means there maybe was not a synagogue in that area. Again, that was Paul's normal MO. So maybe there wasn't, but there were some Jews there. And uh, All right, bring them together. And I want to kind of give them a debriefing about why I'm here and maybe why they would be curious why this guard is standing over here over my shoulder every you know every waking minute and so I'm just going to kind of preemptively tell them some stuff about me and my story so he said to them brothers though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans and when they had examined me they wished to set me at liberty that is the Romans found I wasn't guilty of anything because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. So Paul just kind of gives them a, a quick summary of this is what's happened to me during these last you know 
six or seven chapters uh, of, of the book of Acts. And um, I just wanted to kind of let you guys know um, that way, you know, you don't you know develop any presuppositions or preconceived notions about me and my situation. Maybe you've even heard some things through the grapevine before I even got here. And uh, I just want to set the record straight and talk to you face to face about these things. I love what verse 21 says. And they said to him, We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. We don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, we're completely uh, in the dark on all of this. Um, none of that really is of any concern to us because of what they then say, verse 22. We desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, that is... Christianity, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So, hey, uh, all we know is that you come in the name of, of, of you know, Christ and a representative of, of this tribe that's, that's you know, known as the Way. And, um, well, we're just kind of interested to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, that's really all that we know. And um, this probably, I just have to imagine at this point, Paul would probably have maybe almost been amazed. You know, yeah. what? Somebody actually wants to give me a fair hearing? <laughs> you know? Uh, he had to have been licking his chops. You know, because here's some people who, again, they, they don't have all these prejudices against him. They don't have all of these warped and wrong ideas about who he is and what he's about. Uh, they've just heard some stuff about Christianity and, well... From what we know, it sounds like you're somebody who can tell us about that. So, tell us. This yeah. is kind of amazing. It's like the perfect storm. Like the the, the best situation you can ask for mm-hmm. in this. I mean, Paul's dealing with the Jews in the past several years had been rocky to say the least. Yeah. And I mean, they had pursued him from one place to another to another. Even when he was in prison, after two years, they came back and you know we're, we're trying again. Um, it's sort of like, why didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> like, did they just give up hope? Did they hear? You know, oh, shipwreck must have died. You know, uh, I, I don't know what happened there and why they didn't pursue that any further. Yeah. But um, it's it's pretty. It's an amazing situation, and you know, to hear these people say that. And I, I mean, he what Paul said at the end of verse twenty-one. It's for the sake of the hope of Israel, mm-hmm. why he's there. Yeah. Um, he wasn't saying that like just blowing smoke. You know, he, he wasn't saying that just to make a connection. Um, I'm sure it helped make a connection, but it was true. You know, mm-hmm. the God of the Old Testament, the the things we read about in the Old Testament. It leads to Jesus. That is the logical conclusion. Um, and, you know, obviously Paul was very convinced of that. And so um, whatever he had said just piqued their curiosity, and they, they were willing to give it a, a listen at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and he gets more than just a, you know, kind of a quick little, you know, impromptu um, Bible study with them. Actually, we're going to kind of schedule something, and we're going to give this a prolonged hearing, verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in even greater numbers. So, all right, it wasn't just these leaders who, who were part of this. They then obviously tell some others, and we're going to bring a lot of folks. And it says, from morning till evening, Paul expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses 
and from the prophets. If if I had a time machine and I could go back in time and and you know witness anything from from especially from the Bible, there's lots of spots that I would you know want to go and want to see. Yeah. Um, as I've thought about it, this would probably need to be one of those spots because to have the opportunity to sit in a Bible class where Paul is going to reason from the Old Testament and make the case for Jesus. And it's going to be an all-day event, morning till evening. Yeah, I want to be in that class. You know, I can only imagine Paul being such a a well acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures. Imagine the kinds of things he'd be able to show us that we didn't even notice in the Old Testament, mm. and how that's pointing to Jesus. Um, that would just be an amazing thing, and Paul's getting the chance to do that to these folks for, uh, you know, for, for for the entirety of this day. He once again is another example of he knows his audience, so he's talking to a bunch of people who'd be very familiar, Jewish people, very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. I'm just going to work in the Old Testament scriptures. Just going to work, uh, show them this passage over here from, you know, from 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 the law somewhere in the Torah. Hey, that that's talking about Jesus. Uh, that was pointing toward the kingdom of God and Jesus, how He fulfilled that. Or this over here, what the prophet said, what Isaiah said over here, or what you know Daniel was talking about, about a kingdom. Um, here's the fulfillment of all of that stuff. And uh, we'll see in just a second there was kind of a mixed reaction to that. But uh, what do you think here about verse 23? There, we shortchange ourselves so much when we don't study the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... If we're really looking for a deeper faith and a stronger connection to Jesus um, and to, to be able to think more deeply about the Lord, we need to dive into the Old Testament more. Yeah. I mean, we, we need to spend some time. I mean, if, we, if someone said, okay, Jason, you're going to come and you're going to speak all day about Jesus from the Old Testament only, it's like, <laughs> Oh, well, um, okay, where do I start? Like, what do I say? What, what yeah. do I include there? Yeah. Um, that's, we know that there's enough material there, you know, but I just think as a whole, we're not familiar enough with things from, you know, there, there's Genesis 3.15. Yeah, we got that. Yeah. You know, the promises to Abraham. Okay, yeah, we got that. Um, you know, and a few things sprinkled here and there. I think I could eke out maybe an hour or two, but yeah, right, I'm not right. sure I could milk a whole day, you know, 12 hours or so. Shoot. Yeah. I know. So, I mean, minor prophets. I'm, I'm sure there's stuff there, yeah. you know. I know there is, but um, there's, there's just so much, um, you know, body of knowledge. And I, I think that just we overlook you know, 70% of our bio, it's, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere around there. But uh, because, you know, well, it's, it's not about Jesus. Jesus is in the New Testament. That We're Christians. We follow Jesus. No. Yeah. Like, we need all of it. Yeah, he's on every page. That's absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, the re- it is a mixed reaction, verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And... This really does seem to be one of the themes in Acts when you stop and think about it, that whenever and wherever the gospel is presented, you have some who believe and you have some who don't. Even on those occasions where it seems like, oh man, just everybody believed. You know, Acts 2, 3,000 obeyed the gospel that day. Well, I'm pretty sure 
everybody in that audience that day did not become a Christian. Because we're told that other people became Christians afterwards, so um, so there were people there that believed, and there were people there that didn't believe, and even sometimes people who don't believe initially, maybe later they do come to to, to believe. You know, it, it takes more than just one pass at the Bible, one crack at it. Um, but this is just the way it works, and it's going to be it's going to be the exact same way in in all of our dealings with others. We try to talk a lot about evangelism throughout this book, and rightfully so. And it's just painted the very. Um, clear picture of, of what we can expect that no don't go into that expecting that every person you talk to about the Lord is going to fall down and say oh well, what must I do to be saved that's not going to happen um, yeah. but some will and there will be some who will not and at the end of the day it's you know our, our job it's cliche but it's true our job is just to be seed sowers and not be soil testers and it'll be up to uh, those hearts as to how they uh, respond to what we've presented if we've presented it accurately and if we presented it you know in the right spirit and with the right heart um, there's always going to be a mixed reaction and I, I think when when we just need to be so aware of that and I know reading this verse it's like okay well Duh, some were being persuaded and others didn't. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, that's going to happen. But when it actually happens, it gives us a pause and we're like, did I do something wrong? Yeah. You know, what, what am I doing? Yeah. But no, we, we are told this is going to happen and um, this, this happened to Paul, you know, it happened to Jesus. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to happen. Um, and so we, we just need to be firmly focused on you know, obeying the truth and, and showing it, um, spreading it as much as we can, and you know, wherever the seeds fall, it's where they fall. Yeah. Well, it continues, verse 25, there was some disagreement amongst themselves, that's presumably amongst some of these folks who did not believe. Um, and they, so maybe, so I kind of picture right, so here's some folks who, they're, they're not getting on board with what Paul's saying, and so they're kind of maybe mumbling and grumbling and murmuring about what's being said. Paul catches wind of that, and then Paul's going to make a statement, and that's then going to cause them to, to, to hit the door. They departed after Paul had made one statement, and he makes this, he just quotes Scripture to them, and he quotes Old Testament Scripture to them. Quotes from Isaiah, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through the prophet Isaiah, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Um, this is actually uh, something that Jesus quoted to the, uh, to the Pharisees and some of those uh, individuals during his day and time as well uh, about um, you know, that, that there would be people who they're going to hear, but they're not really hearing. There's people they're going to see. They're going to literally see the Messiah in front of them, see him physically, and they're not going to see that the Messiah is in front of them, and um, and that continues even to this to this present day. That that same passage uh, continues to this very day. That there are people who they will hear just mountains of Bible teaching, mountains of evidence will be presented to them, and they will not hear it. There is. There is no one who is so deaf as someone who does not want to hear, mm. um, and someone who does not want to see. No, someone, there's no one who is as blind as the person who does not want to see. And we will encounter those people. And the fact of the matter is, when you're talking about people who do not want to hear and do not want to see, there's nothing we can do about those people. There's nothing. Right. It's, it's, it's beyond our control. Um, and that's why the prophet said that long ago, and that's why Jesus reiterated, that's why Paul reiterated it here. These are harsh words. 
I mean, it's if, if I was in these people's shoes and I was, you know, didn't agree with with what was said and I didn't believe, and then he said this stuff, yeah, it'd probably make me mad, and I probably would storm out of there. Yeah. Uh, but that's what hard-hearted people do. Yeah. Uh, the quotation continues on, verse twenty-seven: For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear; their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Even with the harshness of that. Uh, rebuke from the prophet, uh, that quotation, it still ends with, with the, the, the door being opened for, uh, it doesn't mean that you can't understand and you can't see. You can. You can turn and you can be healed. You can be forgiven, but it, it's up to you. And you got to want that. you got to be willing to, uh, to pursue that. And uh, God rewards those who do diligently seek Him, but if you ain't seeking, it, there ain't going to be no rewarding. Amen. I mean... That's it. That this concept of repentance is not a New Testament thing. I mean, it's it's been there for a long time, um, and people. A lot of times, the people who need to repent the most are people who don't realize that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if you think you are right, if you think that you know what I am, and and so like think about that. These these Jews want to please God, you know, they, they are not opposed to God, but they didn't realize how much they had blinded themselves because they wanted God on their own terms. Yeah. Um, and so when they were presented with this, they didn't realize that they needed to repent because they didn't see anything that they were doing wrong. Um, they were blinded by their own traditions, and and so the, I guess that's that's something too we could discuss here. It, it's it's not just about you know people wanting to live a, a life away from God. Um, sometimes it's it's just we want to please God, but we don't know how to do it, mm-hmm. or we think we know how to do it, and this is the way it's always been done, mm-hmm. and this this tradition has said this is what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's hard when you're in that position to really self-evaluate, to look at what you're doing, to see what do I need to change. But we need to do this. And you know, I'm, I'm talking to you know, Christians, yes. right? Yes. We need that. Yes, I was, I was going to end up saying, look, it's easy to, yeah. as we're talking, it sounds like we're talking maybe first of all about people in the world who just don't care and don't want nothing to do with God. And then, all right, then you kind of brought it a little closer to home, talking about people who are just maybe religiously wrong, but... Let's bring it all the way home. This could go just as much for us. When you said a minute ago that sometimes the people who need to repent the most uh, are the people who who don't realize it, um, sometimes that is us. That is Christians, where there are there's these blind spots in our life, and 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 by that I mean it's it's not that well, well we can't see it and we're trying to see it. No, it's it's areas that like we have made ourselves intentionally blind to. We're not willing to to acknowledge that weak area or that 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 consistent habitual sin that keeps popping up. Um, these people here, you know, again, these are Jewish people. These were the scriptures that they knew. Who did they think those verses were talking about? Yeah, you know. Um, and, and that's the way we need to be when we see these passages, you know, that calls upon uh, us to repent. I mean, who do we think that's talking to? <laughs> it's talking to us. And, uh, and we, need, we need to have the humility and we need to have the, um, just the, uh, the, the openness of mind to recognize, man, that's, I need to quit thinking about everybody else. I need to think <laughs> about that for me. 
Yeah, we it's so much easier to listen for someone else, yeah. though. It, it's like, man, that was an awesome sermon. I hope Jimmy John over there listened. I hope he was, I hope he heard because yeah. he needed that. Yeah. I know he needed it. It's it's one of those uh, the beam in your eye versus the speck in your brother's eye. We don't see our own faults. We don't see what's wrong with us, and so uh, that's it. This this is a learned behavior. We have to learn how to listen how to read, how to comprehend things for ourselves. Um, because, you know, it's, I don't know how many, how many sermons I've heard that are just like talking about why certain denominational practices are wrong. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, okay, we can, we can yeah. talk about that, you know, whatever. But if that's all we're doing yeah. and, you know, we're just... What's the application for us in that? You know, what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. It's what it does is it makes us even more dull of hearing. Mm-hmm. So that way, when something is said that actually applies to me, yeah. I don't hear it because I think, oh, we're still talking about them, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's we, not what the purpose yeah, is. Yeah, the kind of preaching that's just designed for us to just congratulate ourselves and pat ourselves on the back for how right that we're doing it. Uh, that's not that's not really helpful preaching. Um, and you know, I. I, I Notorious for saying this, but good preaching has to answer the so what question, and mm. and that is all right. Well, so 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 what what's this mean for me, and what am I supposed to do with this? And um, Paul's pretty clear with the so what uh, here at the end of this preaching, uh, and maybe it's this last statement that really is the thing that that hacks these people off because this is the thing that continues to hack the Jewish people off. Verse twenty eight, when Paul says, "Therefore, let it be known to you." that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And Paul was able to say that from from experience. You know, he's spent all these previous years going to Gentiles and being greeted with just, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's not like 100% every Gentile who ever heard the gospel became a Christian, but but there was this a, a much greater eagerness and excitement uh, on the part of Gentile people. And so Paul says, oh, all right, you guys, you Jewish brothers and folks here in uh, Rome, y'all don't want it? Uh, all right, well, I'm going to go start looking for some Gentiles around here. Which, again, is kind of Paul's pattern. Comes to a, comes to a new place. I'm going to talk to some Gentile folks or talk to some Jewish folks first and then see where that goes. And then eventually I'm going to turn my attention to folks who will listen. And, um, uh, you know, even though the text, Luke doesn't tell us, again, all of the exploits of Paul while he was here during this time in Rome, you pretty safely assume that he probably spent a good deal of his time um, you know, having Bible studies and preaching to Gentile audiences by and large. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I just thought about what we were talking about a second ago. Um, and I, I think Jewish teaching of that day was probably similar to our denominational bashing uh, brethren mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like how great it is to be a member of the Jewish family. God loves us so much. <laughs> yeah. Good, good thing, God. I thank you that I'm not like this this mm-hmm. heathen. Um, there I'm with heathen again. But <laughs> yeah, it it's just you know they were so focused on not being Gentiles that they just totally missed the boat. Um, and and Paul's like Gentiles are the one who's who are going to listen. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's so true. How often are we like those Jews? Um, and it's just like, well, as long as I'm not like a Gentile, but you know, totally missing the point there. Yeah. 
I like the fact that Paul, you know, probably somewhere in the back of his mind, there's the he's got to be thinking about, you know, the upcoming opportunity to go before Caesar and to present his case. But there probably is also the recognition if if getting the opportunity to go before Caesar is anything like a case getting to the Supreme Court in the United States, it's probably going to be a while. Hmm. And so instead yeah. of just sitting around twiddling his thumbs, Paul's of a mind, right, I'm going to be busy doing doing the Lord's work. Uh, for And yeah, I may have some, some measure of restricted movement and some of those things, but um, I, I'm not going to just sit here idle. i got stuff to do. So I'm going to go looking for some people who uh, actually w- will pay attention to the important message that I have come to bring. So verse 30 says, He lived there for two whole years at his own expense, And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, lots of people, um, I think, are are not satisfied with this ending to Acts because, (laughs) again, we want to know what happened to Paul. We want to know, all right, well, did how did it go when he got to... To, to stand before Caesar, or or maybe maybe didn't even get to stand before the actual Caesar, maybe it was before somebody else who kind of came out and represented Caesar, or uh, how'd that go? Did 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 Paul get executed? You know, is this where his execution took place, or did he get released? And we want to know all that stuff. I think there's probably a pretty good indication that Paul maybe was eventually released here did some traveling and did some preaching and then later got incarcerated again as he writes you know some of those later like the, the letters to Timothy where he recognizes this his time is at hand and, and he's about to die um, there's some certainly some resources we could look at from from secular history and things to tile that up and and it's fine to do all of that but but I'm just gonna say once again Luke's not interested in telling that story because the book of Acts is not about the the life and times of the Apostle Paul, you know. There's so much about Paul's life we'd like to know. I'd like to know so much about his 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 former days. I'd like even a little more information about his time as a persecutor. Um, I, I'd like to know more about you know some of these phases and stages that we've studied thus far, where we're just not given lots of detail. Um, like to know all of that, but that's not the point of this book. In many ways, verse thirty one is just about as perfect of an ending to this book as anything because it's what the book is all about. That Paul, he continued to proclaim the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. And, I don't know, just think about if if there was a verse 32 and it said, and then sometime later Paul died. You know, was executed. (laughs) Yeah. What a terrible ending. Yeah. yeah. You know, instead what we're left with is we're left with, with what this book has been all about and furthermore, we're left with what, what, what our job is, what, what Christians are still supposed to be uh, about the business of even to this day, proclaiming, teaching, doing that uh, with boldness. There's not always the guarantee, that last statement, that we're going to be able to do that without hindrance. There will be hindrances, um, which that's actually kind of an interesting little note that, that we're given here because Paul's had to experience all of these hindrances in the previous chapters, and then now when he finally gets to Rome... He's actually able to do that really relatively um, pretty easily. Not a lot of uh, obstacles along the way. Yeah. What do you think here? Well, this this is just really good to think about. And, you know, just in retrospect, you know, why did the Book of Acts stop here? Why didn't we get, you know, the stuff that came later with the other journeys? I'm sure there was a lot more that Paul did. 
um, for the Lord, and yeah. that you know there's a lot, lot of stuff there. Um, you know, my my thought on that is just, well, this is where Luke happened to be at the time, and you know, at the the modern day, you know, when he finished writing the the scroll or whatever that Acts was on. Well, that's that's where he was, you yeah. know, two years into the the Roman stay of Paul. It's probably what happened. He ran out of ink at that point. Just, <laughs> yeah, the, just the 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 piece of papyrus. He was he was getting right down to the edge, and that's the last thing he could fit. And yeah, that's why it ended there. No, you're. I, I think you're right. Um, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. No, it, but it just you know, you think about Luke's work as a writer. So you had the book of Luke originally, and then and the book of Acts. Seems like it was two parts to one whole message. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're even given that, that statement at the beginning of the book of Acts, how you know, in my first account I, I composed what Jesus began to do and teach. Then the implication is that this book is going to be about what Jesus continues to do mm-hmm. and to teach. Um, and... You know, Book of Luke, Book of Acts, they both are actually uh, take up about one standard length papyrus roll. So um, he had to fit in the details that he wanted to include. Uh, he had to be very, very you know, cautious of the things that he was going to put in, things that he didn't. We've talked about that before. But he's writing to Theophilus, who we've presumed was a Roman official. He's got kind of a specific audience in mind, at least with the original writing. That doesn't mean that right. it's it's not relevant to everybody else. But um, he's he's trying to to keep it kind of focused for the benefit of this friend Theophilus to help him uh, come to an understanding of the truth. Yeah, no, and I mean he just he is very careful to make sure it is God who gets the glory, he gets the credit. Um, and everything that we see is just an extension of God. This isn't like, look at uh, God's all-star team, mm-hmm. and look at what these awesome people are able to do. The Mount Rushmore of Christianity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, if we did build a Mount Rushmore of Christianity, it would be God. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we if we just think about it the way we're supposed to we are instruments used by god we're here to uh, you know take his will and to to put it to work put it into action to to do things to use our lives as uh you know we are a mouthpiece of his um and and you know just in in retrospect just seeing this um, it, like you said, verse 31, it, that is the perfect ending mm-hmm. because that's what our life is. You know, it's, that's, that's how we need to, to devote ourselves. Um, and even though we're probably not going to end up in Roman prison for two years, you know, after a long, long stay in other prisons and being traveled around, um, there are things that we do give up. And there are hard times we go through. And, there, and there, there are things we have to deny ourselves in order to serve God. But what that does is it allows us to show the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and to show that we are part of something greater than the things we are experiencing on the earth. Um, and, you know, Paul was, it would just happen to be one character in this, this overall great story of of how people can serve God and, and what God expects of us. Um, but, you know, we, we could, we're just as important. Um, 
Or, or, or I guess we could we should say we're just as inimport, unimportant. Unimportant. Yeah. You know, we're small because it's it's still it's God. Right. You know, it's not about our strengths, our our talents, our abilities. You know, all that belongs to God anyway. And so, whatever we do needs to be for the kingdom of God, um, and 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 leading other people to Him. And that's exactly right. And the, of course, the Lord is the is the real hero of the story. Um, the the church. The amazing thing about this is we're talking. You know, so, so we've noticed. You know, uh, the role of of the Roman Empire in this story. We've even noticed the role of of of, of Judaism. Uh, those things. The Roman Empire no longer exists. Uh, Judaism, at least as far as uh, in the eyes of God, is no longer of, of relevance. Um, but the church continues on. Uh, God's word continues on. The gospel still uh, presses forward, and it'll continue to be that way until uh, till the end of time. And uh, so here we are, you know, nearing two thousand years after uh, these events, and uh, the kingdom that Paul was proclaiming there in verse thirty-one. Uh, continues uh, to to be strong, continues to expand, it continues to grow, and all of us just need to think about our role and our place uh, in all of that. And um, I've thoroughly enjoyed getting to to riff uh, out loud, and 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 we've even you know had some laughs uh, along the way. But to talk about this this book in a in a, you know, a relatively serious but at the same time comfortable uh, environment and uh, Jason personally just on a note thank you for joining me and making the time for this for these past 28 28 weeks um, I'll let you have some uh, any final final words you, you you sometimes say something at the end that, that folks have maybe heard a time or two before yeah this may be your last time to do so. Okay. Well, I, I just got to say thanks for listening. Um, you know, this this has been um, an incredible experience. Uh, you know, and just reading through Acts is it should be life changing. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to extend this to anyone again. If if you have questions about things, if you want to discuss this further, if if you need anything that either one of us can can do for you, please let us know. Um, just whenever this is. If you're listening to this in the year like 2050... It could be years from now. You know, That's right. Yeah. Just, you know, you know whatever. Fine. If we're still living. If, if, if yeah. yeah. If not, hopefully our kids are somewhere running around. Yep. But, you know, we're just, we're here to show you that it is possible to sit down, open up God's Word, read it, and talk about it. Yep. That's that's what, you know, the basics of sharing the gospel is. And so don't feel overwhelmed. Don't feel like you have to know everything. If you've been following along, you'll realize that Josh and I, there's a lot that we don't know. Nope. Um, a lot that we speculate on, but a lot that, that we don't know, and, and, you know, we're still learning. And so, you know, that's something... God's Word is, is, is there for us to be able to read and discuss together. Um, and so, you know, for, for the last time for this, this set of studies, I, I just, I just want to just reiterate, guys, just keep studying. Well, on behalf of uh, 
my cohort, Jason the Heathen Bridgman. This is Josh McKibben <laughs> signing off. Thanks so much for listening.